and this is episode 203 <laughs> of In the Word podcast with Will and Marie, and I'm Will. And I'm Marie. So, Maria, we are excited because we're talking about we're talking about salvation, biblical salvation, and um, we're talking about how a person is converted. And I don't get the impression that you feel that this is a very exciting subject. I'm just going to just put <laughs> really? it out there. Yeah, wow. I, I don't think that you're totally um, into it as much as say I am. I, I just. I don't know. I mean, my I, wow. I could just see my entire ministry being redirected toward when and how a person is converted because I I personally feel like there is no more important item in the Christian right, right. lifestyle and the Christian, you know, ecosphere right. that then then conversion, salvation. Right. And and I don't even know how to say it, but um, it's where you start. Like you're right. saying, it's where you start. So it has to be important to me. And maybe what you don't see in me is the method. I mean, the way they come to the Lord, maybe because there's been so much, you know, fighting and this and that over, you know, how you get saved and make, right. you know, right. that maybe that part is not something I want to delve into, but. Um, but it's necessary and salvation in and of itself, just the beginning, wherever, wherever you start is vital because without that beginning, there's no here at hereafter for, you know, for us, you know what I mean? Right. right. So you see in my face that I'm not, you think I'm not as excited, but when <laughs> I, <laughs> but as I sit here right now, I get, I'm, I'm feeling, you know, like giddy on the inside because it's, as we get into this lesson, you know, we'll see where, you know, the greatness of God's love that he would even save us. So it's right. like there's so much more to be said and to be excited about that. Um, don't let that fool you. I'm in one of those little hormonal moods this morning, but I'm still glad and thankful and excited about the word of God, about salvation, and about people being saved. I'm, You know, I pray for my brothers and sisters and and nieces and nephews and all that all the time for the, that they would believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved. So it's an exciting, it is an exciting subject. Right. Sorry, babe. And well, I think, I, I think the reason that, um, I think the reason that we are approaching this, uh, this way. And one of the things that I think is so critical about this is that there are so many different viewpoints on actually what constitutes salvation. Mm -hmm. There's just so many schools of thought. You know, yeah. you have people going all the way to the extreme of saying that to to be saved, you have to, you know, you have to make a confession, accept the Lord into your life. You have to speak in tongues as evidence of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. You have to join a church. You have to be baptized even the formula by which you're baptized, whether it's the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, or baptized in Jesus' name, or baptized in both, or a different formula. All of these things, what church you join, what your membership record is like, how much do you give? Salvation has taken on a, an entire life of itself. It's become a cottage industry in some church circles where mm -hmm. you, you need to just jump through multiple, multiple hoops to be saved and and I 
And then you have the other side of the spectrum where a person just says, hey, you, you shake the pastor's hand or, or make a quick donation or sign up uh, on a membership roster and you're saved. And mm. even like maybe a, a lower bar than that is my grandmother was saved. Right. So by extension, yeah. I'm saved. So you, you have this this great, vast, you know, wide understanding of salvation from one extreme to the other. What is the actual truth? What does the Bible say? Yeah, you know, as you were talking, what I think about is um, when we act like that and think that a person can, you know, say some words and be saved and then they're good. They go on, continue to live their life the way they were living it before. It's like I think believers, true believers, don't want them to people to think that that once you say you believe in Jesus, that there's nothing else required of you. So then you go on and you keep living, you know, the way you were, which doesn't bode well for the name of Jesus. If we're if we're, you know, we're still sinners and we're still sinning, you know, then that kind of brings down. We may think. Um, what is required of them. Whereas if there were some way we could tell people okay, or get into our own spirits that there is a beginning stage when you get saved and then the rest of it comes as you live out that life. Because if you're truly saved, and this is God's business, if you're truly saved, you are going to start changing as you go to church, as you read the word, as you pray, we're trying to lump it all in the beginning. And then we get messed up because of course they're not going to be the same totally the next day or the next month. You know, it take, it's a process. It's a lifestyle. It's the Lord, the Holy spirit being inside of us and changing us little by little every day. So I, I in my mind, I think that that may be where some of the problem is for me is that, it's it's a journey it's a journey right right and, and well it's not a journey to get saved it may be a journey to get to the transform point. yeah right yeah, yeah. but i think that once i think a person can be saved in a matter of, of seconds for sure yes and, and and it'll take a matter of decades for them to get sanctified right you know? yes so the journey begins yeah the, the, to me, the difficult part of the uh, Christian walk is is what happens after, after. you know, after we're yeah. converted. But yeah. the conversion part itself can happen in a moment, could, can happen in a moment. Yeah. And that and that really should be the, the easiest part. And, I, and for some reason, I think it's almost the most complicated part. You know, yeah. if you if you break salvation down into three parts, you know, we. We have been saved, we are being saved, right. and we will so, be saved. Mm -hmm. Theologians attach terms to it like justification is we were saved, we were justified, mm -hmm. we are being saved. They call that sanctification, mm -hmm. and we will be saved in the future yes. when we're in glory with God. Right. We call that glorification. Yes. So to me, if, if forget about sanctification and glorification if you haven't properly gone through the first step of justification or accepting the Lord uh, as your, as your savior and accepting him into your life. If you haven't started there, right. then the other parts, you know, are, are null and void. And, right. and I think that's where the confusion is, is what, what 
constitutes the very first part. I mean, Paul even said in, in Romans 10, 13, a very simple line, uh, something that, that you don't hear a whole lot, but he just says, for whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, what on earth does that mean? <laughs> I mean, that, that yeah. seems way too easy. You're talking about lowering the bar. Does calling on the name of the Lord mean, Lord Jesus, I call on your name and now I'm saved? It, it, it can't mean that. It can't just mean saying a few words. Um, could right. it? You know, right. I, I'm well, just asking. if the heart is right, I think if the, and we don't know that, you know, those of us that are, you know, trying to talk right. to someone about salvation, we don't know that if they, when they confess it with their mouth, you know, call on the name of Jesus, that their heart is not right. I think, you know, the proof is always in the pudding. The proof is always as you continue to live. And so, but one thing, yeah, I just think we always want a sign that they're saved initially. People, people, people do. do. We want people, some outward. Yeah, we want but some I outward. But I don't think that there's anything, I, technically speaking, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Because I don't either. In I don't Acts either. In Acts 26.20, it says, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles. And watch the latter part, part mm -hmm. B of, of, of verse 20 of Acts 26, that they should repent and right. turn to God, performing deeds right. appropriate to repentance. Right. So, yes, we should expect there to be some walk connected to For the talk. sure. Yes. We should connect. We should expect there to be some actions that provide evidence. But the question is, what is the evidence that's most accepted? It depends on what circle you're in. Yes, that's true. If you're that's in a, true. if you're in a Pentecostal apostolic, you know, charismatic circle, it's speaking in tongues. Right. If you're in a, a, a more mainstream circle, maybe like, you know, Methodist or right. some sort of reformed theology or Presbyterian or whatever, it may be just simply making a confession of faith verbally. Right. Now I'm, I'm, I have to admit, I, um, uh, when I first got saved, I was thankful for the tongues because I was off the street, you know, not street literally, but I wasn't, you know, I didn't know anything about the Lord. And when I came, you know, the way the Lord worked in my life, um, the tongues just kind of gave me a confirmation when the enemy came and said, nothing happened to you. You're, you're the same Marie or whatever. Um, the spirit of the Lord that was in me said, no, I know I'm saved. And so that kept me going. And so now I don't put people in hell who don't speak in tongues or if they do, that's God's business. If that's how God wants their evidence to be initially shown for them, I think there's nothing wrong with it. But but do, but I don't know that I even buy that it's actually a biblical evidence. I think a person can have the gift of tongues. I think a one. I think a person can speak in tongues mm -hmm. at conversion, and I think some may nev never. I speak don't have in the tongues. gift of tongues. I know that. You know. So to me, the gift of tongues is is a gift. It's not mm -hmm. a. It's not a sign. It's not confirmation that yeah. a person has truly been converted. It's never stated. As but it can be for a person that doesn't understand the whole, you know, I knew nothing about apostolic church and nothing about any of that. Just, just the way the Lord did it in my life. That's right. just the way he did it. So, and I was thankful for it because otherwise maybe the enemy would have robbed me of what I thought I already had, you know, 
right, of my, right. in my thinking. So, but I understand what you're saying. I don't know what the problem is with tongues. I think the problem with tongues for me or with, for people would be when they say that's the only way right. that you can display evidence that you're saved at speaking in tongues. I don't agree with that. Right. It may, it may not even, not only may it not be the only way, it may not even be anyway, a way because yeah. a person can yeah. fake anything. Yeah. You know, that can't be an incontrovertible proof that a person has been converted right. because if a person starts speaking Italian and you don't know Italian, you're going to think they're speaking in tongues. Right. Uh, well, that's the thing that you just read in the Acts 20, was it 20 or 26? Yes. Performing deeds. Right. That means. And John it'll, 8, 31 he, says, you know, if you continue in If you word, continue. It'll, and there's multiple scriptures that really puts more emphasis on actually what takes place after, after one yeah. has been converted as opposed to what takes place the very moment that a per, every, everyone wants to use the Acts 2.38 the Acts 2-4, more exactly, as the experience mm -hmm. that everyone should have. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah. I'm just afraid that that may not be the, the best template when after Acts 2-4, we don't see any other conversions that simulate or, or follow after Acts 2-4. All the right. other conversions are, are, are much more... Um, understated, for lack of a better term, right. they, they seem to be a, a lot more, uh, a lot quieter, a lot more intimate, right. a lot more individualized. Yeah. Um, ex like this particular one in, it, with the uh, Philippian jailer that we'll talk about next time. But it, but even the house of Cornelius in Acts ten, mm -hmm. the conversion of his household uh, was much more subdued than what we see in Acts chapter yeah. two. Yeah. And and maybe. Acts chapter two just represents an initial explosion of the mm -hmm. Holy Spirit mm -hmm. in that form on this uh, coming on the scene. This was just the inaugural in introduction right. of on the day of Pentecost, you know, that God is just letting us know that now I'm going to put my spirit in you. Mm -hmm. He's going to live inside of right. you as opposed to the Holy Spirit coming upon people mm -hmm. and working with people. Now he's going to live inside of us and where, right. where our bodies are going to actually be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right. He comes and lives inside, but then it's going to be evidenced by right. what is on the outside. Right. What people see, we see us doing and what we, you know, how we think, how we feel, how we live, it will start changing. There's no way you can have the Holy Spirit and not begin to change from what you were. Right. To what God wants you to be. And so for next time, if you want to do some homework uh, to our listeners, we're going to discuss a conversion, just one, um, probably the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16. And, and we'll talk about that. We'll kind of do a deep dive on how this gentleman and, and no doubt his household came to know Christ. And um, it's an interesting study because of the seven or so conversions that we find in the book of Acts, that this one kind of um, really uh, epitomizes, I think, the the concept of, of salvation. It gives us a little bit of everything uh, in terms of uh, how, how we should approach salvation and, mm -hmm. and just one of the ways uh, a person is, is saved. And it doesn't negate any of the other experiences that people have, I think this just is probably puts the bar 
maybe at the at the lowest point, uh, almost at the same point of the conversion of the thief on the cross. Mm-hmm. And the reason I wouldn't include the thief on the cross in this discussion is because the thief on the cross was was saved pre Pentecost. Right. He was saved right. pre right. the ascension of the Lord. Right. This this conversion occurs after the Lord has yeah. ascended and after the Holy Ghost has descended. Mm-hmm. And I think it just makes a more uh, prototypical case for us than, than the thief on the cross. Right. So, dear Lord, just thank you. Thank we you thank Lord. you for thank blessing you us Lord. to be able to look at these passages and, and try to understand yes. the beautiful gift of salvation, the beautiful gift of, of conversion and how you justify us and, and you saved us because of our faith. And thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. Yes, we honor and we praise you in Jesus name. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Please, uh, please write us at in the word podcast at gmail.com. Please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Questions, comments, suggestions. Just let us know that you're listening. We appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're not asking for any money or donations. We just want your your time if we can and would love for you to uh give us some feedback god bless you and we'll see you next time on in the word podcast with willa marie